This morning is a song that was written back in the 15th century. It's called, O Splendor of God's Glory Bright. And this morning when I came into the sanctuary, and the, the sanctuary was lit up with the, with the colors and the beauty and the light of the, the, the beautiful windows here, I sat for a minute and I watched and I looked at the, 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 the light and the colors coming through and I was just struck with the, with the glory of God and the, 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 the glory of the colors and the light. And then it, 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 it dawned on me, and I began to think that, that the beauty, how much more, that, that was my perspective, looking from the inside out with the colors coming through, that, that God's perspective is looking from the outside in, and how much more he appreciates the colors illuminating the faces here, the colors coming in, the light coming in, illuminating the faces, the living colors, the living people that are here in the sanctuary, and the beauty and the splendor that's here among the people. And then I realized that the glory is not in the light that we see, but that the light that God shines upon us and the light God puts within us and the light that is seen through us. splendor of God's glory bright from light eternal bringing light though light of life life's living spring true day of days Glory 
Thank you, Diana. Let's open our Bibles this morning. It's 2 Timothy, chapter 1. As you're turning there, one note, announcement, I'd like to see all the elders, everyone who's been ordained as an elder, I'd like to see them in the Molly Burn Room after worship. Okay? Second Timothy, chapter 1, we'll deal with the first seven verses today. If you're able, will you stand with me as I read the Word of God? Heavenly Father, we ask that you would come upon us with your spirit today. Just rest on our hearts and provide for us understanding, clarity of insight and and mind, that our eyes would be open and ears attentive to what you have for us today. That we may not just simply read the words, but we might understand them and know how to apply. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, according to the promise of life in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God, whom I serve with a clear conscience, the way my forefathers did, as I constantly remember you in my prayers night and day, longing to see you even as I recall your tears, so that I may be filled with joy. For I am mindful of the sincere faith within you, which first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am sure that it is in you as well. And for this reason, I remind you to kindle afresh the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power and love and discipline. This is God's inspired word for us today. So please be seated. Just as a quick overview of this, this is the way Paul opens his letters. Now remember, this is probably the last letter, it is the last letter that we have in existence of Paul's writing. Um, His death is imminent, it might be a day, it might be two days, a week away, but he knows it is coming. And he writes to Timothy, who is his... um, He writes in verse 2, my beloved son, this is his spiritual son, the one that he is closest to probably in this world. Timothy, he has known since uh, he was younger, if just a little history on Timothy, his mother Eunice, his grandmother Lois were both Jewish. His father was a Greek. Uh, So his father was really no help in the spiritual things. No mention is made of him beyond the fact that he was not Jewish. Uh, So the faith that was instilled in Timothy as far as the grounding within the Old Testament came through his mother and his grandmother, and Paul highlights that here. And Paul and Timothy, Paul views Timothy as his son. Uh, He has spent years with him in ministry. Uh, Timothy at this point in time is at Ephesus, uh, caring for that church there and all the issues that are going on at the church in Ephesus. And um, uh, Timothy is probably young, uh, young, hmm, what is young here? Maybe He's probably 30 years younger than Paul, let's say that. And if Paul is at this time about 60, 65, that makes Timothy anywhere from 30 to 35-ish, something like that. So he is relatively young as Paul looks at it, but he is pretty well grounded in the faith. 
And he knows his stuff. He's dealing with some crazy teaching at Ephesus. He is dealing with some uh, stubborn leadership at Ephesus. And Paul reminds Timothy, don't let anybody give you a hard time because you're young. Uh, but you go and do the things that the Lord has prepared you to do and go and do them well. So Paul, well, let's look at Paul for a moment. Paul is a man of immense personal strength. He is extremely bright, self-motivated, hard-headed, we can say, driven, and that is all before he ever came to Christ, all before he ever met Christ face-to-face on the road to Damascus. And now he is all those things, but he is filled with the Spirit as well. He is powered by the Spirit. He's seen the Lord face to face. He's been used to do very miraculous things. The Lord has changed him completely. He spent years in the desert being taught by the Lord himself, through the Spirit, there in the desert. And he has built basically most of the New Testament church through his missionary journeys, his four missionary journeys, as he has traveled around, planted churches, gone back and talked to them and encouraged them, written them letters to deal with issues, letters all the way from uh, things in 1 Corinthians about, um, you know, we've got a first-generation church. Some people probably last month were pagans, and they're still dealing with those pagan issues, and Paul addresses those questions all the way to probably written in the early 50s and all the way here to uh, uh, 2 Timothy written in the mid-60s, uh, probably 15, 16 years later, and he is dealing with issues within a more, a, a more structured church. That's why we have in 1 Timothy um, directions for elders and deacons and things. Okay, So that gives us an idea of who Paul is. Uh, Timothy is not Paul. In fact, none of us are Paul. But Timothy is not as hard-headed, not as driven, not as ready to take on the world as Paul is. Now, I'm I'm kind of of drawing from a variety of of things here to to put a portrait of Timothy together, uh, that perhaps Timothy was a little bit timid. And we know that there's great pressure on his shoulders. He is dealing with all those things at the church at Ephesus. Paul has great faith in him, but maybe Paul hears in some correspondence from Timothy that maybe Timothy's just having, he's not as bold as he should be, or as Paul would like him to be. He is not out there um, dealing with uh, those issues head-on, face-to-face. I mean, there's wholesale theological error going on at Ephesus, and maybe Timothy is trying to be a smoother instead of attacking it directly and saying what is right and what is wrong. And also, we have to remember that at this point, there is a, a, a burgeoning persecution of Christians. This is right around the time where Rome burned. And um, old Nero had, had to blame somebody, so he blamed the Christians. And this persecution is spreading. And Timothy, his favorite guy, his spiritual father, is Paul. And Paul is in prison for preaching the gospel. And maybe Timothy is looking at the persecution that's growing and looking at Paul writing from prison saying, you know, this is probably my last correspondence to you. You've got to come before winter or I'll probably never see you again. And maybe Timothy is going, do I really want to stick my neck out there and face all that is out there? I mean, Paul is going to die. Do I really want to go that way? And Paul is writing to Timothy and says, I remind you, verse 6, to 
kindle afresh, to reignite the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a power, or not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power and love and discipline. So Paul is reminding him of what has been done previously in his life, what has taken place, and he is giving him a kick in the pants to get it moving again. Okay, get out there and do what you are supposed to do. Now, there's an underlying attitude here that effective ministry must be done. An effective ministry must be done by those who are gifted for it, by those whom the Holy Spirit has come upon and given gifts to. Now, what, what did we, before we prayed, what did I say? I said, everybody who receives Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior also receives whom? The Holy Spirit. There is no believer who has received Christ who is waiting to receive the Holy Spirit, the gift of the Spirit. Okay? When you believe the Spirit comes upon you and empowers you to do ministry, you say, well, I'm not going to do ministry, Rand. I'm, not, you know, I'm an engineer. I'm not going to go out and, and do ministry. No, you're empowered to do ministry wherever you are and with the gifts the Lord has given you. But it's not until you are involved really in the midst of ministry that those gifts can come to fruition. You can't use them from afar. You have to get into the mix. You have to get into the mix, and we'll see that in just a moment. So Timothy was under, as I said, the threat of persecution that could possibly cost him his life. The Bible says, even the fear of man brings a trap. So perhaps Timothy is saying, if I exercise the gift that I have been given, then I am in real danger from man, in real danger of losing my head or being crucified, as he has seen other Christians be. Now, we know that there are plenty of people in Scripture who uh, have been, oh, a little hesitant now and then to really live out the Christian faith. Let's turn over to Matthew chapter 26, and we'll see one of these guys. Um, because there are dangers. And, and we don't have to go and say, um, well, I've never faced the life and death issue of living out my faith. Well, you may, you may not, you probably will not in this country. But there are other issues where it comes time to live out our faith. And we have, um, you know, when you go to the airport or, or somewhere and there's an announcement. This announcement's for Randy Jenkins. Randy Jenkins, will you please? Thank you very much. Okay, And that's what you, you know it's for you, but you don't know what it said. Well, very often we have times where we have we should have said something. We should have let been bolder and we said well you know i'm a christian but i'm so so, sorry we've kind of been hesitant we've kind of mumbled our way through or we have not stood out and and done what we should have now all of us have been there whether it's a very small thing a very you know quiet time but in our hearts we know or maybe it was some big bold time i there are times in my lives my life where i should have been out there i should have said some things where people have have challenged the faith, where people have, you know, challenged me on my faith, and I have been timid, okay, and should not have been. Well, here's a guy who was timid, Matthew 26, verse 33. But Peter answered and said to him, even though all may fall away because of you, I will never fall away, never. This is Peter, 
Jesus said, Truly I say to you, that this very night before the cock crows, you shall deny me three times. And Peter said to him, Even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. All the disciples, you see them all in the back one. Yeah, yeah, me too. What he said, what he said. Well, go over to verse 69. We all know this, but we're going to read it anyway. Chapter 26, verse 69. Now Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard. A certain servant girl came to him and said, You too were with Jesus the Galilean. But he denied it before them all, saying, I don't know what you're talking about. When he had gone out to the gateway, another servant girl saw him. You know, those servant girls can be pretty intimidating. Okay? And another little servant girl saw him and said to those who were with him, This man was with Jesus of Nazareth. And again he denied it with an oath, I do not know the man. And a little later the bystander came up and said to Peter, Surely you two are one of them, for the way you talk gives you away. Then he began to curse and swear, I don't know the man. And then the cock crowed three times. Okay, Here he is. The way you talk, the way you walk, tells me you're a Christian. No, 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 I'm not a Christian. <laughs> and the cock crows. And what's Peter? He's stuck. Because then he remembers. Why didn't he remember the words of Jesus not long ago that said, you will deny me three times. In the midst of the denial, you would have thought the first God, I've denied Christ, just like he said. But no, it was three times. And then the cock crows, and then it comes upon Peter, and he is, went out and wept bitterly. Wept bitterly. Uh, how about John chapter 21? Let's look there. But what's the difference, just as an aside, as you turn to John, what's the difference between Peter and Judas? Christ prayed for Peter. Okay, Christ, Peter denied Christ, but it says, Satan has asked to sift you, but I will pray for you. I have prayed for you. So Peter, you know, even though he was weak there, even though he didn't stand up to what he should have, he was still useful for the things of Christ because Christ had chosen him, had prayed for him. John chapter 21, verse 15. And here's the, the, the kind of the end of that whole story with Peter. John chapter 21, verse 15. So when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said, yes, Lord. You know that I love you. He said, tend my lambs. He said to him again a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said, shepherd my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all these things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, tend my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were younger, you used to gird yourself and walk wherever you wish. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will gird you and bring you to where you do not wish to go. Now, he was signif- said this signifying by what kind of death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. Follow me. There's no function in Christ if you're ashamed of Christ. You can't do the ministry that you've been gifted to do if you're ever ashamed of Christ. You can't go out, and and specifically Timothy, Paul is saying, Timothy, you can't go out and preach the gospel which you have been gifted to do if you're ashamed of Christ, if you're timid about it. If you go out and say, you know, I think this is right. 
My life has been changed, but you know, it might not be for you. You can't go out and preach the gospel that way. You've got to say, this is truth. This is what is right. You've got to go out and exercise this gift. Mark chapter 8 says, What shall it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? What can a man give in exchange for his soul? I love the world so much that I'm ashamed of Christ? No, can't be. We love Christ so much that we are never ashamed of him, no matter what the world brings against us. This is what Paul is trying to get Timothy to understand and to believe. And the only way that he can do this, the only way that he can really come to grips with this and live it out is verse 6. Kindle afresh the fire of faith. Okay? Light the fire again. Don't let the fire go out. You have been given this wonderful gift of the Spirit. You have been given these gifts that are purposefully given to you so that you may go and do ministry with them. And if you let them sit, if you don't use them for God's glory, they will go out. In a sense, they will be useless and you will be useless for the Lord. John Huss, great pastor in Prague, 1415. Really, he is the one where the, the, in, through whom the Reformation began, almost a hundred years before Luther came on the scene. Huss was preaching the word. He wanted the word translated into the language of the people. He was arrested and condemned and sentenced to be burned at the stake. By whom? By the church. Okay. And when he was tied to the stake, set to be burned to ashes, he prayed, Psalm 25, verse 2, In thee, O Lord, do I put my trust. Never let me be ashamed. Time and time again we read, and it's called Fox's Book of Martyrs. And it's, it's a history of those, basically, who many of them were burned to death. And what they did leading up to that point, and how they died, not ashamed of the gospel. And time and time again, you'll... He writes about those who were convicted of preaching the word, those who were going to be burned for their faith, sitting in their prison cell around their candle, putting their hand close to the fire so that they would get used to the flame, so that when they would light the flame and be burned, they would not bring shame upon the Lord. I've told you before about um, the Huguenots in France, and the king was so tired of hearing them sing as they were burned at the stake that he built bleachers and had a band come and play. And every time they would burn a Christian at the stake, the band would play and drown out the singing and the praying of the believer who was not ashamed to die for the things of Christ. So Paul says to Timothy, refresh, renew your gift. Now what does he mean by that? He says it really means continue on to renew. Renew it on a regular basis. You don't just go and renew the gift that you've been given just one time. You must do it on a regular basis. If you go to your barbecue, okay, and here you are, how many, how many of you like to smoke things? I don't mean a pipe or anything. I mean, you know, you've got some, you've got some meat, you've got ribs, you've got uh, pork butt, and you're going to smoke it, okay? We've got some smokers out there, and you go and you light that wood and you tend to it. If you go in and you take a piece of wood out and you throw it in the driveway, what happens to that wood? It goes out. How about the rest of the wood that's all together burning? What happens to it? It continues to burn, okay? If you don't tend to the fire, if you just light that fire once, and then come back after 12 hours, oh, the meat ought to be smoked by now, it ought to be just great, what happened? The fire went out after four hours, okay? 
The meat's not smoked enough. It's not cooked enough. And you go, well, why? What happened to this fire? You didn't go out and tend to it. You didn't go out and feed it. You didn't go out and put some more hickory on or some more cherry. You just lit it and walked away from it. Okay? You can't do that. Same type of thing with the gifts we've been given by the Lord. You must tend to them. Same type of thing applies to our faith. We must tend to our faith. Now, how do we tend to our faith? Oh, we spend our time in the Word. We spend our time in worship. We don't go out and do the thing specifically that, that says, take us, that the Word says, take us away from our Lord and Savior. Because there are things that draw us close to Christ and things that pull us away from Christ. If we spend our time in those things that pull us away, we will not tend our faith. We will not tend our gift. That fire will begin to go. Kindle afresh the gift within you. Kindle afresh those things. Light that fire. Keep it going. What will dampen the fire within us? Willful sin will dampen the fire within us. Well, I know it's sin, but I'm going to go do it anyway because it's so much fun. I mean, if, if sin wasn't fun, would we actually pursue it? Well, sometimes we do, but mostly it's because it's fun, but it's a short-term fun. And sometimes the results last a lifetime, and other times they're just a few moments. Willful sin will cause us to smother that fire. Neglect of the fire will let it go out. Okay? Fear can choke the fire within us. I'm afraid to do what the Lord wants me to do, what he has called me to do. When I'm reading his word, I know what he wants me to do, but I am afraid to do it because I desire the things of man more than the things of God. Charles Spurgeon wrote this. He says, Timothy was gifted in various ways, but specifically for public ministry. And in this epistle, Paul bids him to stir it up, stir up the flames, stir up the embers into a fire. The fire may be well provided with coal, the heat and light may be present, but the poker needs to be used. Anybody who has a fireplace understands that. You've got to get in there with the poker. That's why they call it the poker. Okay, so you get in and poke the fire and stir it up. Air comes in, you address the fire. We may have gifts, but we must be, we, but we must carefully practice the duties in which they can be used for the benefit of others. It becomes us all to give ourselves to the duties which lie immediately to our hands, not shirking or scamping them. We must not give part of our thought and care to our appointed tasks, we, but we must give our whole selves. What our hands find to do must be done with our might, just as men build arches of brick over slight structures of wood. And then when they take away the structures of wood, the arch holds. So on the passing of duties of an hour, we are building up habits and character which will live forever. What we do is comparatively unimportant. How we do it is all important. It is all important. We must always be on guard, always be alert, for we have in our hands the interest of others as well as our own. Christ gives us a gift. And here he's, Paul is talking to Timothy. He says, I remind you, stir up the flame. 
if you leave that gift, if you leave faith and say, I believed, and then don't do anything with it, it'll just go out. It's gone cold. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what a fantastic gift you have given us in the person of Jesus Christ. And who are we that you should love us? Who are we that we should, you should be mindful of us? Let alone send your Son to die and your Holy Spirit to empower us. What a fantastic opportunity we have to live for Christ. To stir up this faith that you have given us. To not let it sit, not let it grow cold, but to make it grow into a raging, roaring fire. That others can see and that others will know that it is the fire of Jesus Christ within us. Lord, come upon us. Let us never let it grow cold. Tell us. Show to us the gifts that you have given to each of us that we might fan the flames of faith, fan the flames of those gifts, that we might use them for your glory. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Let's stand as we sing 273, Jesus Paid It All.
I remind all the elders we'll meet in the Molly Burn Room for a few moments after worship. Sin left a stain upon us, but yet Christ's death washes it whiter than snow, atones for us, empowers us by the presence of the Spirit. Lord, come and rest upon us. Let us never be ashamed of the gospel of Christ and what you have done for us. Let us never let our faith or the gifts that you have given us sit idle, that we might fan them into the flame, that we might burn for Christ, that our hearts might desire more and more of Christ, that those around us would see those gifts being used for your glory, that their lives might be touched, that their ears attentive and eyes open to the message of Jesus Christ, that they too may receive him as Lord and Savior. Lord, send us out, never ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. For it's in his name that we pray. Amen.